Let's get our Bibles out, okay? I think it's good to open the Bible this morning and see what God has for us. I think He's got a, a word for us. I've been um, wound up with it this, this week. Uh, been marinating on this passage, and God has used it to instruct my heart. And, you know, it's, it's something that... Uh, it's, it, it's been a burdensome week, I think. I, I've, been, I've been kind of tired. I've been tired because... I, and I think the main reason, and because I've thought about this, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was just, I came home. My wife's like, "Are you okay?" And and I'm just, I'm just burdened. I'm just burdened, for, and, and and it's your fault. <laughs> it really is. It's your fault because I care about you, and I know you're burdened. <laughs> and so I've been kind of wore out this week. So I appreciate that. Really, I need, to, I need to blame God, don't I? Because he's, he's put me here. Praise the Lord. I'm glad he has because I could be anywhere else. But he's got me here, and, and I, I love it. Today, um, let's look at John chapter 20, verse 19 through 31 is where we're going to be looking today. John 20, that's our main passage. Uh, the verses will be coming up on the screen, but if you have your, uh, your copy of Scripture, open that up, and you might want to make some notes. If we have the... Uh, the listening guides as well. If you don't have one of those, um, I'm sure somebody around you can help you find one. I don't, I don't see any ushers in the back holding them or anything like that. If you need one of those, um, anybody need one of those? You need one? You good? All right. Everybody's good. Um, let me just give you some, some background of where we are with this passage. It's the, um, when we get into this passage in uh, John chapter 20, in verse 19, it says, On the evening of the day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, the disciples were, were for, uh, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So this is the day of the resurrection. So that morning, they went to the tomb, and they saw that there was no body. So this evening is where we are today in our passage. You know, as I was thinking about this, you know, um, at, at this moment, the, the, the climate of... Everything going on around everybody, it's on edge. I mean, everybody is just on edge. And I feel like maybe, you know, our culture right now, we're kind of on edge with a few things. And, you know, there's a big election coming up, and people are, you're, you're really sweating about that. I mean, I, it doesn't take long to get on the Facebook feed and know that people are stressed out about that. But see, my goal today is to help you. I just want to help you. And I might say some things you don't like. I might say some things, hopefully, that will encourage you, but I just want to help you. Let's just get, let's take a poll right here. I'll prove it to you. I want to help you. I really want to help you. All right, so I'm going to ask you to raise your hand with this question, but I need you to be honest, okay? Because I'm going to help you, all right? Who in here, when you pull up to the gas station, you pull up with your wrong side of the car? Raise your hand. Come on. More people, I know more people do that, okay? All right, so those of you who didn't raise your hand, let me help you. All right, I have a picture up here. You can put that picture up there. You see the gas tank thing? You see that little arrow? That little arrow right there tells you which side of the car. So you can get in anybody's vehicle. And from now on, you never have to pull, you never have to get out and be like, oh, it's on the other side. You know? And like, get back in and. Somebody at the gas station is like, they don't know about the arrow, okay? 
So now you know about the arrow. See, look, I'm telling you, I'm here to help, okay? I'm just here to help. I'm trying to, I want to encourage you. I'm here to help, okay? You never have to pull it to the wrong side of the car ever again, okay? Now, I really mean this. I want somebody to come up to me sometime today and say, thank you for that. I do that all the time. Well, now you're not going to, right? I sure hope you don't do it anymore after, after that. So. We got other issues if that's the case. So you can get, you can get rid of that picture, please. Um, it's going to annoy me if it's still up there. Um, <laughs> uh, so basically, <laughs> he put it back, didn't he? Much, much love. You're showing love, right? We just want to help each other out, right? So basically, in this passage, it's just absolutely, just, the climate is just chaotic. Everything, everything's really just kind of gone haywire spiritually. I mean, you got to think like, okay, so the disciples are, are walking with Jesus, following Jesus, that kind of thing. And, and he's saying some things, and they're not real sure what he really means by the fact that he's saying, hey, I'm going to get killed, but I'm going to... Ru- rise again. They, he says it pretty much just like that, but they still don't really get it. Well, he gets killed. He's dead, brutally butchered, crucified. It's nasty. And they bury him. And so the disciples, the ones who are following Jesus, their leader, like, you know, they follow him like, hey, he's got the answers. If anybody's going to help us out in this crazy situation that we got, it's going to be him. But now he's dead. And he's not just like hurt and he's going to get better. He's dead. So spiritually, the climate is really tough. Maybe you're thinking, man, it's pretty tough right now spiritually in, 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 my, in my, my world where I am now. Personally, individually, it was t- it's tough. Nationally, politically, it's tough going on in, the, in this passage. It's, it's really tough. You know, there's several times in the, in the Gospels where Jesus, you know, when he'd, feed, when he'd feed the multitudes, they'd get all charged up and they want to make him king. Hey, let's get, and, and so Jesus would have to push away, withdraw from, like, like you know, you're not going to make me king on this earth kind of thing. So politically, nationally, it's just kind of, it's kind of chaotic. So as we get back to our passage on 19, verse 19, it says, On the evening of the day, the first of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So that's why, the, hey, they're in there, closed up, doors locked. See, the Jews, under Roman rule, they, they're the ones that wanted to crucify Jesus. And so what's going on just kind of nationally, politically with the Jews? Well, you have Herod Antipas, who's pretty much over the, the Jewish people. Well, not, I mean, you can kind of get an idea of his leadership. John the Baptist kind of pointed his finger at him and said, Hey, you married one of your family members. That's not right. And so it made Herod mad. Well, eventually, Herod cuts off John the Baptist's head. Because he, and so that's, that's part of the political climate that's going on in, in the disciples' world there. That's, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty jacked up is what it is. And you can read more. I'm not going into a history lesson right now. Under Roman rule, the emperor at that time was Tiberius. Tiberius, he was constantly killing people because he thought that they were uh, trying to get him, trying to causing treason, that kind of thing. And he ruled for a while as Roman emperor, but, you know, people really didn't like him because there was, at one point he got sick, and this is all speculation because we don't really have great historical documentation of ancient Rome, which is, which is kind of funny to me because we have great historical documentation of a marginalized Galilean peasant carpenter named Jesus. We have far greater 
historical documentation of him than all of ancient Rome and all the emperors and everything. But anyway, back to Tiberius. So they thought Tiberius was sick enough to die. They thought he died. The whole nation cheered. Yeah! And they found out he was still alive. And they're like, oh. And then his, the one that was taking his place supposedly took care of it and smothered him. And then everybody cheered again. Well, the person who took his place was Caligula. If you know anything about Caligula, the guy was an absolute maniac. He appointed his horse to be a government official. Okay? Now, I know that you're looking at the news, and you're looking at the political climate going on, and you're like, man, what is going on? You know, we either got, you know, bad or, or badder that we got to deal with. You know? And I'm sorry, it's, it's how it is. It's bad now. It's bad then. But you know, regardless of whether or not cookie monsters in the Oval Office, God's still on the sovereign throne. Amen? I mean, that should help you right there. The Jews under Roman rule, they wanted to crucify Jesus in Acts chapter 4. And Acts chapter 4 says this. It says, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Basically, they're saying, God, you knew that the brutal butcher crucifixion of Jesus was going to happen, and it was all going to happen according to your plan. Because God is sovereign, He knows His plan. Now, we can wring our hands and we can look, look at what's going on around us and we can sweat. But we have to just rest on the fact that God has a plan. He has a personal plan for you. So back to our passage in John. So in verse 19, at the end of verse 19, you know, the disciples are still locked up. They're afraid. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. you get that? He shows up. The doors are locked. He didn't go, he didn't like have a key. So whatever they're afraid of, they think the doors can keep that out, being locked. But whatever they really need, no matter a lack of faith or locked doors or whatever, what they really need is Jesus to show up. And he's just like, hey guys, here I am. And he says, peace, peace be with you. Okay? If you don't get anything else out of this morning, just know Jesus is good. He was resurrected. He's alive. And he looks at you right now in your heart, in your mind, looks at you and says, peace. Hey, peace be with you. Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. His side was pierced and his hands obviously were pierced with nails. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. See, here's what you don't need to do when you read the Bible. You don't need to be like, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And keep going. Like, there's a lot of emotion going on there. They weren't just glad, okay? They had been weeping because their Lord has been crucified. And then they go early in the morning, and they're like, his body's not even there. So they kill him, they brutally crucify him, and they're like, what's going on? He shows up and he says, Peace be with you. Look, I'm physically alive. And they were glad. They were glad. Okay? I think that a lot of us need to be glad. Just glad because, hey, you know what? It's Easter in November. Is that okay? Is that going to be all right if we do Easter in November? 
Hey, he's alive. Resurrection. He looks at us, peace be with you. Peace. I'm alive. And be glad about that. Jesus said to them again. All right, he gets repetitive here. He says again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Kind of narrows it back down to his purpose. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven of them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, or Didymus in your translation, which is just another word for twin. So Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. Where's Thomas? Well, he's probably behind some other locked door somewhere. Hey, we're getting together, man. We're just going to pout. You want to come? No, man, I'm by myself today. I'm pouting alone. So Thomas, one of the 12, he was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples, when they found him later, they told him, hey, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's kind of a, a sorry, faithless statement to say, huh? Well, sure it is on our end. I mean, but Thomas was, he didn't have the, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Every time he's ever heard of anybody getting crucified, nobody just walks away from that. Right? It's, pretty, it's a pretty bad thing. He says, i got to see it to believe it. Eight days later, Jesus, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. So, you know, they're still working on their pity circus, their pity party. But Thomas is with them now, and the doors were still locked. Jesus came and stood among them again. I mean, he shows up again. Isn't that great that God will constantly come to you? Constantly, constantly, constantly. What does he say to you? Peace. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, I heard what you said. Hey, man, I heard where you, I heard where you went, dude. I heard what happened. So he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands. Well, what grace is that? Jesus could have been like, Oh, Thomas, you're here? Hey, I heard what you said. Um, sorry, dude, you got to go. A little faithless statement. That ain't going to work, man. We got work to do. Like, you're, you're just not going to fit with our group. But no, Jesus is like, okay, you want to stick your finger in me? Go right ahead. Man, what grace. Do you disbelieve? He, says, he said, believe. He said, don't disbelieve, believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. What a great confession right there. He says, my master and my God. Jesus, at this moment, accepted worship as God. And he never refuted it, never said, hold on, no, don't call me God. Why did he say it? Because he is God. Jesus, in this moment, is saying, yeah, I'm God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Look at this. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. That's you. If you believe in Jesus, I was talking to uh, my son about this passage. I was telling him what I was preaching on, and I was reading it to him. And he said, at this part, when, when it says, blessed are you who have not seen me and yet believe, he said, hey, that's me. I said, you're right, son, that's you. You hadn't seen, but you believe. Now, Jesus, and this kind of wraps up, this, uh, kind of stands alone, but Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. 
So welcome to crazy world. We need Easter today in November. And that's what we got. I hope that's all right with you. So let's look at your handout. In times of crippling chaos, in times of crippling chaos, and I think maybe a lot of us would say, man, I feel like I'm just overwhelmed with how chaotic things are going on in my life. Like personally and with my family and things like that, it's just, it's, it's a hard way to bear. And then I turn on the news, man, it's a hard way to bear. So you feel like you're limping around. You've been limping for far too long because you're just limping around in crazy, crippling chaos. This sees all crazy, crippling. That was an accident. Anyway, it's good. No, yeah, I didn't get it. Anyway, in times of crippling chaos, we need to focus on, number one, the presence of the resurrected Jesus. The presence of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus came and stood among them. Now, what makes you think he's not here today? So the presence of Jesus is in this place today. And so, as you're limping through chaos... You know, Jesus is here. And you know what? If, if there's someone who actually got crucified and rose from the grave and said, it, said that would happen and he did it, like I think, I think him being around is a pretty good thing. The presence of Jesus is a wonderful thing. He came and stood the champion, the death beater, the conqueror, the one who put death to death, Jesus, stood among them. Hey, we need help. This, we need help today. The presence of Jesus, being reminded of that, we need help. One of the first few times I went to the uh, Navajo Indian Reservation, um, and Keith and Kim, where are you guys at? Keith and Kim, they're here today. Amazing servants of God. They've been, they were doing our Navajo training yesterday. We have a team heading out there the day after Christmas. Um, I spent many a, many a day um, in, on the Navajo Indian Reservation. When I first started going out there, we... Um, w- few of the trips, we camped. We had no running water, um, no power. And one time we slept in the tents for 12 days like that. No showers, no running water. We, you know, we, ha- we brought our supplies, that kind of thing. Um, we, we would put up our tents to have our services, that kind of thing. It was hard. It was hard. We had about 15 guys sometimes that would, would go out there. Well, this one particular trip, we, we were working hard. And the wind was tearing down our tents. All the people that were coming to our services were just looking at us blank, like, I don't care what you have to say. And nobody was receptive to anything that we were doing. I had to break up a fight, and one of, and one of the guys had a, had a dagger, and I thought, man, that could afterwards I was like, that could have been really bad. We had people that got sick. One of our guys, he had his finger on, on a spike when he was net, he was. And he, and he had to go to the hospital. Almost, we almost lost his finger. And, and it was just a terrible, terrible experience. Day after day after day. And this is several, several days into our trip. And everybody was just whooped and tired. And so me and a friend of mine, we got in one of the tents. A friend of mine's name is John Nix. We got in one of the tents and we were just like, why don't we just pray? And so we just kind of quieted our busy hearts and we just paused. And I remember praying And I remember the presence of Jesus being so strong in that tent. We started praying, and I remember, this was years and years and years ago, I remember what I said. I started praying, I said, Lord, you're awesome. And I just shut down. 
and I got choked up. And we just sat there. It's like we were just held, and it was like an hour. We didn't say anything. We just sat there in the presence of Jesus, the awesome Lord. He came in our midst, and he just sat with us. We weren't talking, rattling on. We weren't carrying on. He really didn't remind us of promises from the Bible and that kind of thing. He just sat with us. We just sat with him for a while, and it was great. The presence of Jesus. I pray that everybody in here has a time in your life where you can remember where, when the presence of Jesus showed up and it really made a huge difference. You know, throughout the story in Scripture, there, there, would, there would come times where amazing things would happen and they would want to build an altar. we got to build an altar right here, Lord. Well, I, I felt like in my heart, I have an altar built on the Navajo Indian Reservation because I experienced an awesome time of the presence of the Lord, the risen Savior. The presence of Jesus makes all the difference. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's close. He's near. You can lock other things out, but you can't lock him out. He comes in close. So in times of crippling chaos, we need to focus on the presence of the resurrected Jesus. The next thing we need to focus on. Focus on the peace of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus thought it was important. Three times in this passage, he said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. There's people in this room right now, after hearing that three times, you still don't have peace with you right now. And you've got to sort that out. Now, maybe you don't have peace in your life and your heart right now because your conscience won't let you because you have unconfessed sin or undealt with sin. That kind of, you, need to, you need to make it right. You need to have a clear conscience before God and with others. Go make it right. Maybe that's why you don't have peace. But in the outside circumstances of what's causing them to be crippled by chaos, that's what Jesus is coming into. He says, peace be with you. Peace be multiplied to you. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you notice that that's part of the greeting. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. Evidently we need peace. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Like we can't even wrap our mind around the peace of God. It passes all understanding. will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. So, you're limping around. Things are crazy outside the walls of your own existence because of stuff just falling apart. Things are crazy on the inside. Jesus is saying, peace be with you. And, and you, you can't explain that. We all need that. The Bible says it will guard your hearts, will guard your minds in Christ. John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have what? Peace. And here's a good part to remember of this verse. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Okay? <laughs> we can all say, you got that right, pal. We can all have tribulation. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus, the presence of Jesus shows up. Hey, look, man, I, not only did, have I overcome the world, like, I beat death. I beat death to death. Whooped it. And I've overcome the world. 
So listen, get this. Everything, everything that causes you to waver in your peace, everything, Jesus has already been victorious over that. Whether it's your life, your health, your finances. I mean, you just got to rest in the resurrected Savior. Rest in his peace. Peace in the midst of chaos, in the midst of terrible news. I see, I've seen that here. I saw, I saw peace in the midst of uncertainty and terrible news. Friday, Vernon Broom was in the hospital and went, went to go check him out. And uh, turns out he's been diagnosed with a lung cancer that's inoperable and they're not going to treat it. And it's fast moving. But in that hospital room, you could almost grab the piece. It was so thick and so real. As people are dealing with crippling chaotic news, but we just had a good time hanging out and just the peace of the resurrected Jesus was just there with us. It was an instructive time for my heart and I I just thank God for my time with them. They're both, Tressie and Vernon, they're both here today, and God's good. Peace. We focus on the peace of the resurrected Jesus. Focus on the presence of the resurrected Jesus. Focus on the proof of the resurrected Jesus. He said that, in verse 20, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad. Hey, look, it's really me. I was the one that was crucified. I was dead. I was buried. But it really is me. Physical, literal proof. Holes in his side, and he's physically alive. The Bible recounts a large crowd of over 500 witnesses seeing the resurrected Jesus. It's in 1 Corinthians 15. So a lot of other people saw him too. He spent many days, 40 days after he was resurrected, and he had encounters with people. There's proof of the resurrected Jesus. Earlier I said that the, 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 account, the historical accounts we have of ancient Rome it's really kind of ridiculous how much the New Testament account, how, how it's far greater quality and integrity, and it's about a carpenter than the entire Roman recorded history. So but what happens in institutions, people will say, well, I don't know about that whole resurrected Jesus thing. I, I have a hard time believing that. Well, you ought to say, I don't know about that whole Caligula thing. I mean, we don't really have good documentation on that. That whole Julius Caesar thing, that whole crossing the Rubicon, that whole Mark Anthony, all that stuff. I don't know if I can believe that. We don't have really good documentation on that. But we do have wonderful documentation of a Jewish carpenter named Jesus Christ who was brutally crucified and rose from the grave. And here's another cool thing about Jesus when he rose from the grave. Forty days he spent hanging out with his followers. A lot of people saw him. Look, we have more paintings, songs, poems, record. we have more things written about Jesus than anybody else. Don't you think it's interesting that after he ascended into heaven, we don't have anything else about him after that? Wouldn't you think that, oh, well, he kind of like maybe retired and went out of town? Like, no. Because of the proof. Like, there's a lot of skeptics in our world. You know, and, and a lot of the skepticism in our world really comes historically. There's a lot that can be traced back to the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, and stuff like that. We don't have time to go into that. Basically, 
in history, we got to a place where self prevails. And you can, you can be skeptical of anything. And so the skeptics, you know, they, they have a hard time with a, a man crucified and buried three days and rose from the grave. But the proof is there. The proof is there. You know what? You know where the, the greatest proof is in the resurrected, resurrected Savior? The person sitting next to you. The person standing before you. If you knew my life and how crazy it then I'm actually alive standing before you. And the only thing that I can attribute that to is Jesus. The person next to you, you, you might not know their story, but the proof in the resurrected Savior is sitting next to you because their lives are changed. Paul said it like this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That was a changed life of a fire-breathing Pharisee who wanted nothing more than to kill and throw out all the Christians he came across. He said that because Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, changed his life. Family members of Jesus who grew up with him said, I don't know if I can believe the things that he's saying. Man, I, I saw, I, we grew up together. But then when they saw resurrected, risen, death-conquering Jesus, I'm in. And James turns into one of the greatest New Testament leaders, leader of the Jerusalem church. Proof. Proof. Now, some of you think like this, and this is the reason I'm kind of dwelling on this. Maybe you need peace in the times of crippling chaos that we live in, and maybe you just need to be reminded that there really was, 2,000 years ago, a man who said he was God, accepted worship as God, lived a perfect life, died a brutal death, dead, buried three days later, conquered death, physical, real proof that that happened. Maybe that helps you. Maybe that just kind of massages some peace, massages some chaos out. The next thing we need to focus on, the presence of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the proof of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus. If you got your hand out, hopefully you got all those. The purpose of Jesus, number four. The purpose of the resurrected Jesus. He got to the point quick. Did you see that? Jesus shows up, goes, you know, just passes through the locked doors. He shows up, says, peace be with you. Look, I'm here. The Father sent me, now I'm sending you. He got right to the point. He wasn't like, hey guys, what's been going on the past couple of days? Man, let's talk about what's going on, you know? What'd you think about all this? Didn't you think that man, something else was happening? I mean, how did you feel? You know, how, how's your family's doing? Like, what are your neighbors saying? That kind of thing. No, Jesus said, look, hey, I'm alive. Look, here I am. No, uh, holes, you see, I'm alive. Peace be with you. Father sent me, now I'm sending you. See, here's what's really going to help some of you if you just, in, in the midst of just seeing like crazy, crippling chaos outside of these walls, inside your home, like if you just kind of just rest on the fact that, okay, the resurrected Jesus has a purpose for your life. He is sending you. 
Praise God, we have a mission team right now in Brazil. And they're sharing the gospel. They're talking about the resurrected Jesus who conquered death. He sent them down there. Those people down there, they're getting saved right now. And then they have a mission. Jesus is like, peace be with you. The Father sent me, I'm sending you. He didn't say, peace be with you. Good news, all your problems are gone. He didn't say, peace be with you. Let's relax and have some dessert. Let's have a dessert fellowship. Let's get together and have an ice cream fellowship. We feel good about the resurrection. Let's get together and have a a fellowship. Now, I'm not saying it's bad for us to get together and have an ice cream party. Believe me, I'm not saying that. But Jesus is like, hey, I'm alive, resurrected, literal. Here I am. Peace be with you. Get to work. Now, the same Jews who wanted Jesus dead, they're the same ones that are outside those locked doors. So it's hard. And they know it's hard. You study through the book of Acts some more, like the, the persecution swells up. Stephen, one of the, our first recorded uh, Christian martyrs, you know, in Acts, in the early part of Acts, Acts chapter 7, you know, he's proclaimed the gospel in boldness, the Spirit's with him. They stone him to death. That's nasty. I've seen, I've been in places where Christian people are really persecuted. I've been in Muslim nations. I've been in China. I've been, I've been with house church, a house church in China, and it was absolutely incredible. The faith and the trust that just drips off of them. As we went through a dark alley, climbed up six flights of stairs into a busy city apartment building, we go behind these closed doors, and there's like 10 or 12 of us in a circle. You know, and they have conversations with me like, hey, if you ever come back, you think you could bring like a, a bug detecting system so we can like search our homes? I think the, we think the, that somebody's trying to listen in on everything. And they get together, and they take their phones out of their pocket. They put it in a basket, and they take it to somebody else's house because they don't know if somebody's listening kind of thing. And if you know anything about what's going on with, in, with the persecuted church today, Persecution causes a great depth. Roots go in deep. Relationships get strong. They, like, they, they really need each other. They get together often and say, we got to read the Bible. we got to get together and pray to our Lord. Things are heating up here and there. They still have purpose. You know, we got it pretty easy. We don't have, we don't have, pers- like maybe social persecution is might what you experience. Somebody making fun of you on Twitter or something. But if we ever get to the place where we really literally have to suffer persecution, it might be good for the church. Because it'll cause roots to go in deeper. It'll cause relationships to be stronger. And it might weed out some weak, feeble, posing Christians. It's going to cost me that much? I'm out. We're not there yet. 
And if we are, if we get there, we still have a purpose. Jesus shows up behind those locked doors and says, hey, I'm alive. It's bad out there. We got work to do. The Father sent me. He sent me and I gave my life. Now I'm sending you. Now you give your life. What did the, what did the apostles do? They gave their life. They all died. Except John. He got exiled onto an island. He's probably like, man, I want to go to heaven. I don't know. There's a song. Church, oh church arise is the name of it. Craig, make note. I think we need to do this one. Oh church arise. I'm going to read it to you. Oh church arise, put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the devil's lies. An army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. Our call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. And with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we'll fight with faith and valor. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure. And Christ will have his prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. Come, see the cross where love and mercy meet as the Son of God is stricken. Then see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet. For the conqueror has risen. And as the stone is rolled away and Christ emerges from the grave, this victory march continues till the day every eye and heart shall see him. So spirit come, put strength in every stride. Give grace for every hurdle that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant good and faithful as saints of old still line the way retelling triumphs of his grace. We hear their calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand in glory. Amen. It's crazy on the other side. We have a mission. It's hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it. We need to focus not on the pur- only on the purpose of the resurrected Christ, but on the promise of the res- resurrected Jesus. Look, I think it's just amazing. It's very instructive and very critical part in this text in verse 22 when he said this he breathed on them and he said receive the Holy Spirit like you can't you can't win matters of faith and lot like you can't win apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life you can try to do it on your own believe me I've tried and you, there's a lot of people in here you, you try you're trying real hard you're trying real hard to have peace to make it you open the Bible, but you don't ever really read much because it just doesn't come alive to you. Maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't reside within you. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, he says, look, I'm going to be going in about 40 days, but I'm going to do something better than me staying by your side. I'm going to get the Spirit, and he's going to be inside. It's so gracious. The helper is what the Spirit is called. The comforter, the guide. He's with us always. Always. John 14, 16, this, there's no slide up there, but it says, 
And I will ask the Father, Jesus said, and he will give you another helper. He'll be with you forever. That's the, that's the helper in the Greek. It's, called, it's, it's, it's a paraclete. It's what's, the Holy Spirit is a helper who comes along beside you. So no matter what's going on in your world and your existence, hey, if you're a believer, all these things are still true about Jesus, but you have the Spirit inside. And he's your helper. He's your comforter. He's convicting right now. He's comforting right now. He wants to help you right now. Lastly, we need to focus on the permission of the resurrected Jesus. And this is kind of interesting. I think it's also pertinent to our conversation. John 20, it says, If you forgive sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness of any, it is withheld. Like, what, what's, like if you forgive sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. Like, it just seems like that's kind of out of place. Well, what, what Jesus is saying, he says, hey, look, I am alive, resurrected. Look, physically real, but it's, it's good right here. Check me out. I'm alive. Things are good. Hey, I have a purpose for you. I have a helper that's going to help you. And also, as in, uh, in Matthew chapter 28, the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus gives us the, the great commission. And he says that all authority has been given to me, therefore you go. And so there's like, so Jesus, he doesn't say, okay, now my mission on this earth is done. Now you guys pick up with your mission. That's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not what's happening here. Jesus is saying, I have a purpose. I came to fulfill my mission. Now you take my mission as well, and you keep going. He gives us permission. Like I remember when I first baptized somebody, I thought, I don't think I'm allowed to baptize somebody, am I? Yeah, I am. Why? Jesus gave me permission when he gave me a commission. Who's, who's allowed to baptize somebody in here? If you're a believer filled with the Spirit on mission for God, hey, there you go. We have the authority of Christ to do these things that he's called us to do. To call sin what, it's, what it is, sin. And there's times where, you know, and, and we see this play out uh, in the ministry. As a pastor, I probably see it maybe more than some of you guys, but somebody will come and talk to me and they say, I just don't think I'm saved. And I'll talk to them and kind of hear them out and pray for wisdom that God would help me lead them, that kind of thing. And it might be that they're not saved. And I'll tell them, you're right. I don't think you're saved. How can I tell somebody that? How can I have the authority to do that? Jesus gives me the authority. And so your coworker that hopefully you're sharing the gospel with and you're witnessing to and they're seeing your life in the midst of crippling chaos, they see something unique and special and different about you because you don't talk like everybody else. You don't laugh at everything else the same people laugh at. You don't do everything. Like you're just different. You're just kind of calm and steady. When things are crazy, you're calm and steady. When things are sad, you're calm and steady. And just, they know something's different about you. They just know something's unique about you. And then when they come to you and they say, hey, um, I, need, I need to talk to you. And you share the gospel with them, that, that kind of thing. And they pray. You say, well, you just need to pray and receive Christ. You know, he, his forgiveness is free, free of charge. I mean, he paid for it. If, if, it's your, if you want it, you need it, and then right now, take it. And that person's like, okay, good. How do I do that? Well, just, you know, talk to God. Talk to the Lord and say, hey, forgive me. I, I, need, a, I, need, a re, I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning. And that person before you in the hallway at work prays to receive Christ. And they look up at you, and they're like, now what? 
And they're like, what, what just happened? Well, what happened was somebody who's forgiven by the resurrected Jesus, who's embraced the mission of the resurrected Jesus, who has the helper sent by the resurrected Jesus, has the authority of Jesus to look at that person and say, brother, sister, you are a born-again child of God. Amen. Praise God. Instead of like, well, I think you probably need to go talk to a pastor. You've just talked to Jesus. <laughs> Don't talk to me, man. I mean, Jesus is... Jesus is the one you need to talk to. So all authority has been given to me, Jesus said, and then he tells us, I'm going to transfer some of that to you. I hope that some of this has encouraged you. I think that we need to keep, we need, we need to pile on a little bit more because we are prone, in your handout says, we are prone to rebel against these realities. The realities that we've talked about of the promise of the resurrected Jesus, the permission and his authority of the resurrected Jesus, the proof of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, the presence, the peace. Like we are prone in our hearts to rebel against that. We are. Look, and, and we just, I mean, we find ourselves just kind of maybe standing next to Thomas here, right? Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin. He was not with him. He came to them. He said, you know, the, the passage in verse 25, it says, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, I, I can't believe lest I see the marks in his side and his hands. Verse 26, eight days later, disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. And Jesus stood among them. Peace be with, with you. And Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. See my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. See, we we're like Thomas. We rebel against these, these realities which I hope you would inscribe on the tablet of your heart, these realities that we've talked about, the permission and all these things we've talked about with Jesus. But we rebel against these realities. And hopefully in verse 28, we find our, ourselves, we're like, okay, I see, I get it now. And we confess something as Thomas confessed, my Lord and my God. In verse 30 it says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Which aren't, they're not written in this book. But these are written... These things that we have, they've been given to us so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life. So there's two things that I think that God really wants to impart to our hearts today that we need. We rebel against these realities, one with a crisis of belief. Now, if you think about this crisis of belief, what you need to attack that with is faith. Faith, the conquering, grave-conquering, resurrected Jesus. Trust him. He, you're in his hand. He died for you. He, he saved you. He brought you to himself. He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. Thomas was having a crisis of belief. A few weeks ago, I came home, and I was, no one else was at my house. I came home, and um, there was this kind of like a dog in my yard. I say kind of like a dog because it was nasty looking. It was a, some form of chihuahua, okay? <laughs> and so I got out of my vehicle, and I was kind of like, <laughs> I don't know if I was scared or what. I was like, what is that? 
And so, and as I looked closer, and it was kind of walking around, like gnarly looking face, okay? I noticed that his eyes were like totally clouded over. And so I'm like, well, that thing's blind. And, you know, I was like, hey, what do I do? I mean, you got this blind, like, zombie chihuahua in your yard. I mean, what do you do? Well, as I was trying to deal with it, I realized it's deaf, too. It can't see me, and it can't hear me. And so it had a little collar on, a little purple heart around it, and so I'm like, I don't know if I want to touch that thing. You know, it might be contagious. (laughs) I mean, I've seen zombie movies and stuff, right? You know, don't get like, it might bite you, that kind of thing. Well, as I got closer, it didn't have any teeth. And so I'm like scratching my head, like, what am I supposed to do with this dog in my yard that's blind? And the reason I knew it was blind is because, like, it'd start walking right into my garage. You know, I understand it's hard to see, like, a tack when you step on or a Lego in my house. But when you don't see the house, you're blind. And so it, boom, it'd bump into the, and its tongue was hanging out, toothless, blind, deaf, zombie, zombie dog. It was the craziest thing. I, there's been a few times in my life where I'm like, what is going on? One of the things I did, I promise you I did this. I stopped and I looked around. I thought I was on some kind of reality show. Like I'm like, somebody is waiting to see how I deal with this walking death. And so I really looked around. Is anybody watching me? I thought maybe somebody dropped this, this dog. Like it's going to die soon. Let's just drop it off at a nice person's house and let them bury it. That kind of thing. So what I did, I was like, I don't know what, what do I do? And so I went inside. Close the door. Of course, I'm like pacing around the, the house. I'm like, what? So I go back out there, and it's like on the, you know, like 10 feet over, just kind of like looking around, that kind of thing. And I'm like, so I go inside. Well, maybe it wants some water. And so I put a little bowl of water, and I'm like following it around. And so I like splash it a little bit. Like I, I come to the conclusion it, it wasn't thirsty. If it was thirsty, it probably like licked all the water off his face. But it's just walking around, and... So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back inside. I'm going to go back inside, and I'm going to wait for it to die. <laughs> then I'm going to go outside and bury it. You know, I'm not going to kill it. I'm not going to stomp it. Or, I, mean, I'm not gonna, I mean, what do I do with this dog? So I finally go back out there, and it's still kind of like bumping into my fence and stuff like that. And I reach down, and I pull up the, I touch it at this point. I'm brave enough to touch the zombie. And it's, it's, the purple heart says Gigi. Okay, okay, so Gigi is somebody's pet, I guess, or Somebody's joke? I don't know. And so my neighbor comes out. And I'm sitting here, standing there, and looking at this dog. And my neighbor, he's an awesome guy. We talk all the time. He's a big Cubs fan. We were celebrating the other day. Um, I said, Mr. Todd, what's that? He said, I don't know. I don't touch dogs. (laughs) And he's like, I think that's the neighbor's dog. Okay. And so... I pick up Gigi, and I go over to the neighbor's house and knock on the door, and I'm like, is this yours? Yes, thank you. He, he, she gets out sometimes. I'm like, gets out? <laughs> We're always having a, she falls into the pool. And so, I'm like, man, I, what, a, what a sad excuse for a dog. And here's probably one of the reasons that these realities that I've just gone through are hard for you to sink your teeth into because you don't have any teeth. You're blind. You keep 
bumping into things, falling into whatever that you walk into and your whole life, just year after year after year. That's you. Hey, Gigi, you're a zombie dog. You can't see because God, you don't have eyes to see these realities. You can't hear because God hasn't unplugged your deaf ears. Maybe today is when God says, you know what? You can't deal with all these realities until I need to awaken the faith in your life. So maybe you're here today and you just need faith to be awakened. Aren't you tired of just bumping into stuff? Hearing things and reading things you you can't really sink your teeth into? Well, maybe you just need to pray, God, give me faith to believe. I've been a pathetic excuse bumping into things my whole life, and I'm tired of that. That dog was a pathetic excuse of a dog. I felt sorry for it. We need faith. We need faith to believe these realities. Maybe you don't have a crisis of belief, but maybe you just have a crisis of identity. The key word there is gospel. These realities are hard for you to deal with because you have an identity issue. You have a life issue. If you're a Christian, Jesus lived the perfect life that you were required to live. And he died for your sins in your place, the death that you deserve to die. That's true for a believer. Now what happens is we get that tangled up in some type of form of anti-gospel legalism where we think God is constantly opposed to us. He's constantly just looming over us like we can never get anything right. We always make a mess of everything. And we're just walking around defeated. And Jesus is standing before you now. He's, He's like, you know, trying to impart peace and joy to you and But you have an identity issue. You have a crisis of your life. And that's just, you just got to let the gospel set in your heart. So many people have a talent show, God. In your life, you've like constructed this stage. And you come every day. And do a little performance, and you hope God on the other end of that big red button is not gonna go. Look, I know that's kind of a silly way to put it, but that is the sad reality of far too many Christians. They they every day they're trying to do good and perform so God won't give them a big X and say, Man, that was dumb, that was terrible. Look, you need to rip apart the talent show stage in your life. And, and every, so we are so prone to just scratch against it, to climb back on it. We need to constantly be reminded of a resurrected, death-conquering Jesus who lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live, that we couldn't live, who died the death that we should have died, that he died for us. We need to constantly be reminded of that. Constantly tell yourself that, you know, my merit, my worth in the eyes of God is not based on whether or not I don't drop the the bowling pin on the juggling stage. Your your merit, your value in the eyes of God has nothing to do with your performance. Too many people have painted themselves in a corner and they're like, oh, every day I gotta make sure I don't mess up or God's gonna... It's 
so troubling. I see it all the time. I feel like I can see it on people's faces when they're, they can't even sing victory in Jesus. When they just bump into things all the time and fall into things, just, just, just defeated. Maybe God needs to give you a, a faith to believe, but maybe God needs to just remind you that you're loved by him. If you're a Christian, get this. I'm trying to drag you off the talent show stage. If you're a Christian, you believed what Jesus has done for you was enough to have, for you to have life and peace and a relationship with God, spend eternity with God in heaven. If you're a Christian, then right now, right now, God in heaven can look at you right now and say, I am pleased with you. Do you feel like that's true for you? Here's why you don't. Here's why you rattle against that a little bit. That's all you do is just try to not drop a bowling pin and God's going to, you dropped it again. What's wrong with you? You keep dropping it. And so when we totally dismantle the talent show stage and God steps away from that big red button and says, now let's, let's work on who you really are. That's when freedom comes. That's when we can look at these realities of a resurrected Savior. Wake up, guys. Boo. And say, you know what? It's going to be all right. The, the crazy, chaotic insanity that I call my world that I live in, it's going to be all right because Jesus is alive. And I'm going to be all right because God has given me faith to believe that. Not only that, but he's done everything necessary so I can have peace with him. Everything. So why don't we just let Jesus show up this morning and say, hey, look, right here. Peace be with you. This week, some of you are panicking about what's going on in our culture, in our country. Why can't Jesus just look at you and say, just peace be with you? Do your duty as a citizen of this country, but be reminded that you're a citizen of heaven. You're a sojourner. You know what that means? You're just passing through. You're an alien in a foreign land as a Christian. And we have a king and a kingdom that's worth fighting for. Our victory in Christ comes when we turn our attention to him. In the midst of crippling chaos, last thing. God desires that his children live and that life begins when we behold the king. See, here, here's what could, have, what could have happened. The disciples could have been hanging out behind the locked doors and then because, you know, Mary Magdalene, she already found out she, you know, Jesus was resurrected. They, they've been talking about it a little bit kind of thing. Jesus could have been like, Hey, send this. Let me write something down. Some of my disciples are hanging out in a the room. They're scared. Lock the doors. Send, um, send them this note. Tell them it's going to be okay. But no, Jesus wanted to be in their presence, and he wanted them to look at him. Hey, up here, up here. Look, 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 up here. That's what Jesus is wanting to do. 
So your true free life in Christ begins when you behold him. Behold. When you focus your attention on him. And you see what he's done as the death-conquering risen Savior. Who lived the perfect life and died the punishment death you deserve. Your life begins when you realize and you focus your attention. You behold the King. So tomorrow morning, why don't you wake up if you're a Christian and just behold your King. Just breathe the free air. When the news feed goes across, maybe you need to stop watching the news for a little bit. Try that. Dare you. Some of you get wrapped up in the news. Stop for a week. Even this week. Dare you. <laughs> you can't do it, can you? Well, maybe if you're like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, all this rattling around, all that's pushing against me, all this noise, this chaos, it's just causing me just all kinds of strife and panic. I'm just going to, I'm just going to focus on my king. I'm just going to look at him. I'm going to behold him. And he wants you to do that. He wants you to look at him. He wants to look at you. Like right now, he wants you to look in his face and say, hey, look, I still love you. Hey, I still got a purpose for you. I still got a plan for you. I'm still victorious. I'm still, I still win. And you know what? If you're in me, you win too. Somebody told me this morning, you know what? It might be kind of some crazy stuff going on, but I started at the back of the book and I read a little bit going from the back and we win. Hey, there you go. We win. 